Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. Well, my name is Jen Jewell, and I have the tremendous honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode into your earbuds, your speakers, your headphones, typically every other Tuesday. But quick announcement, y'all, this is actually the final episode for 2020. We'll be taking a brief break in December as we soak up the Christmas season with our families. But don't worry, it's the perfect time to catch up on any episodes you might have missed. And we've had some really powerful stories in the past six months. So catch up, enjoy your holidays, and we'll meet you right back here in January. So can we just cut straight to the chase? We have so much goodness to dig into in today's conversation as we are on the very brink of the holiday season. Though, yes, it is still a super weird year. Maybe like me, your family's been texting on a big group thread, trying to figure out how to gather, when to gather, if we should even gather. It's a bit of a hot mess. But even a pandemic cannot stop us from entering into this time with a legitimate heart of gratitude, even while we wait. Well, get ready, because my guest for episode 91 is the darling and articulate and witty and wise beyond her years, Adrienne Bly. And this is a conversation all about the behind the scenes of longing and waiting and desire. What do we do with it? Yet also the unending faithfulness of God. And it's my very best guess that there's something you are waiting for. Maybe something to do with a relationship or your health or a job or a trip or an answer or some long anticipated dream. In Adrienne's case, it was her longing for and praying for a child, as well as how to process what could feel like an unanswered prayer. Now, quick disclaimer, if you are not someone who has personally experienced infertility, do yourself a favor and please do not write off this episode. Like you might regret it for the rest of basically forever, okay? You've been warned. Infertility is not a path that I've personally walked, but goodness gracious, there are timeless waves of gold drenched all over this story. Yes, this is one story of waiting, but whatever it is that you're asking for and hoping for and longing for, There's much to learn in the meantime. We can also take this opportunity to remember our long-awaited Savior who happened to show up at just the right time, but in a surprising way. Let's pause to consider how we're all waiting for Jesus once again. Yes, we know that He has come and lived and died and even rose again, but we're waiting for the ultimate consummation of all things, all things to be complete and whole and redeemed once and for all. Guys, one thing is certain. God is working in us and through us and around us, even while we wait. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Adrian. Well, hey, Adrian. Hey, Jen. And welcome to The Messy Table. I'm so glad that I get to see your face right now. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. You are what? About an hour outside of Chicago? We are. Yes. Ooh, good job. (laughs) Yes. About an hour northwest of Chicago. And I'm on the outskirts of Tulsa, but here we are. Thanks to technology, we get to combine our messy tables. That's awesome. Well, before we go any further, first, would you just give us a little snapshot of your life, your family, just whatever will help everyone get to know you a little bit better? Of course. Yes. So my name is Adrian Bly. I am, as you said, from um, the Chicagoland area. 
I am married to my best friend, Jordan, who happens to be a high school friend of Jen's. Yes. Um, yay. And I have two wonderful children, uh, Hazel, who is four, and Boaz, who is almost 15 months. They're like your and little minis. Are, yeah, it's funny. They're like fusions. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like Jordan might have the dominant gene, but they are. They're little fusions, and they're totally different, and they are my miracles, my joys. Um but yeah, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I'm one of five kids, uh, right smack dab in the middle. So I have an uh, older brother, younger brother, older sister, younger sister. I'm a pastor's kid, worship leader kid. Uh, my mom is a nurse. And yeah, we we did some moving when I was little, but uh, the biggest move was to California, which was like gut-wrenching for me. Um, and that was for one year. We were in Palm Desert, hmm. right outside Palm Springs. Oh, okay, so you weren't near the beach. Nothing to do with the ocean, Bummer. mind you. I was like, how can we come this far? Right. Yet not far enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was, would feel the exact same way. Yes, slightly devastating. But we did move back to the Chicagoland area and uh, actually found those moves as a kid to be super instrumental in shaping me for all, you know, the changes that came as an adult, um, a willingness to move and liking change, even though I like literally abhorred it as a child. Um, <laughs> you like it now? I do. Yes. Both Jordan and I do. I'm glad we're wired the same way because it'd be really hard if we were different, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to that. But I, I'll try to, I don't know, speed up, but try to summarize a little better. Um, Went to school in Minnesota, had my heart set on urban ministry when I graduated, came back, lived in my parents' basement, you know, super <laughs> typical, <laughs> single, uh, really wanted to get to the city, had a corporate job. And when I say corporate, I mean, let's let's not be impressed. I was a recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> I was this like fresh out of college recruiter who couldn't find another job. And recruiting, actually, one of my best friends is a recruiter. And it's like she's the real deal. Uh, you know, legit. I was the one. <laughs> yeah. I was the one who's like, I just need a paycheck. Yep. Um, yep. I did so the I same did thing. Did you? Well, yeah. I call it corporate, too. But it right. sounds fancier than it was. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It makes our resumes look a little heavy hitting That's there. Right. And then I, you know, really yearned to be in the city to be doing ministry. And I happened to be set up with Jordan. It was a blind date. Uh, a childhood friend of mine was dating a college friend of his. And Jordan had moved up to Chicago to work for a ministry called Intersect. So they set us up and I met him. I mean, like, met him and the rest was history type situation. Yeah. Um, and then a month later, moved to the city and started volunteering for the ministry. And I actually went on after volunteering. And again, this is like going to sound impressive, but it's really not. I went on to become the executive director of the ministry. Which was inner city, right? Inner city. Yeah. We were in the city of Chicago. Yep. And Jordan was working there, too. And... We just, gosh, I'm trying to think. So we met in 2006, and then we were married in early 2009. So we'll be celebrating 12 years of marriage hmm. on January 2nd. Awesome. Um, and then we were city people for a while. You know, we were there for five years, and then we moved to a suburb, which literally is on the other side of, like, one street from the city. <laughs> it's called Oak Park. Yeah. So we were really, you so know, you don't miss train, it too much. It. Yeah. No, we didn't miss the city. Um, I had left the ministry. Um, I experienced some pretty deep burnout and needed to move on from that and really kind of just needed more of a secure, predictable 
uh, situation, which was really surprising for me because I was, I mean, truly from like third grade on, I was like ministry full time for life, you know, like this is what I'll be doing. And so I was surprised to find myself at this crossroads of burnout. And really, I think what it was, uh, wonderful, wonderful people, you know, on our board supporting us, but it still was pretty isolating. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't have what I needed to thrive. And so we kind of took a leap of faith and I I went on to to work. This is so funny for anyone who knows me. I mean, even you and I chatting before this, you might be surprised, but I worked for an investment firm (laughs) for five years. Yeah, well, we were talking about how we hate math. So (laughs) yeah. So the irony, I feel like God does this in my life where I'm like, I'll never do that. I don't like this. And he's like, oh, yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) Jokes on you. Mm -hmm. But it shows me I can do things I didn't think I could do. You know, so I worked there for five years and I came in as like an admin. And then I left as a like superhero admin who also did the marketing. And yeah, you did. Oh my gosh. I had like spreadsheets in front of me. And are you type A? Yes, I'm type A. Okay. Are you? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, totally type A, but also type A. I don't want to admit it, but yeah, I'm like relaxed. I'm totally chill, right? So flexible and spontaneous. Actually, I'm type A, but like never look in my makeup drawer. I'm like that type of person, you know, where my house might be really clean, but my makeup drawer is I have those pockets of, you know, I'm going to send you a picture of my makeup drawer and my junk drawer (laughs) after this. (laughs) Please do. Solidarity. So I worked there for five years. Then, well, I don't want to fast forward too much, but actually the fun was going into to wind down mode, which means it was, you know, dissipating, it was shutting down um, the fund that I worked for at the investment firm. So I wasn't going to have a job to come back to anyway. So that was one of the reasons I moved on. But I also had a miracle baby coming and on the way. And so those two things coincided. Um, and since then, I've been full-time stay-at-home mm. with my kiddos. I love it. Well, fun fact. So you already said it, but Adrian's husband was one of my dearest friends. Yes. Uh, definitely my closest non-family member guy friend, Aww. if that makes sense, growing up or in high school. I bought my first car from his older sister. Mm-hmm. It was a cherry red 92 Toyota Celica. I called her Cece the Celica. And the best <laughs> part was definitely the sunroof. Right. So you have some awesome in-laws. Shout out to the Bly family. Oh, I love that. I do. I'm so fortunate. Every time Jordan's parents come to town, I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to eat? Mm-hmm. You know, our best friends are coming. Mm. I mean, not really, but we do. We get along so well. I've, I really hit the jackpot with my in-laws for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a few other things about me. I'm an Enneagram 4. Okay. Um, which is... I don't really like, I have to say, it's been really interesting for me. I'm not sure how to process it. Yeah. Um, but what I are the things that you most resonate with mm. the Enneagram 4? I would say, so there's like a need to be understood. Okay. But really the biggest thing for me that I can relate to is just this, like I'm not afraid of emotion mm-hmm. or pain mm-hmm. or something deep, like going deep is a place that I'm just not intimidated by yeah. and I actually in some ways prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, Did it make you uh, feel known that I said that before a recording that I feel like you're really uh, deep? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Totally. Um, now, are you this type of person that took the test? I'm a four, move on, or like I need to read all the books to figure out what I really am? Uh, so as a true four, I was like, so I took the test four times. 
three times. It was like inconclusive. And I'm like, of course, because I can't be known. <laughs> well, I have not committed. So are you a four? Wait, no, I so haven't, haven't committed to anything. Is four on your list of prospects? Let me ask you that. Um, or no, not really. Okay. Well, then I'm not <laughs> going to, I was going to go on to say something, you know, like really profound, but I, <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm in that camp of, I can relate to so many of them. And when I take the test, like if I take it four times, you know, it shows the pie shape graph yeah. and a lot of them are very equal and it's frustrating. Yes. Okay. So interesting. That happened to me too. And then I, I had this friend, Kristen, who I was emailing with and she had this like free test. It was like the one you pay for, you know? And so she gave it to me and and I wrote her back, like, I just don't feel like this test understands who I am. And she's like, you, you are a four. <laughs> <laughs> just admit it. And my, you know, my sister, my older sister would say the same. So yeah, um, I think the part that was hard for me is I'm not like feathers in my hair, a bow around my neck, oh. you know, walking <laughs> to the room, like everyone give me your attention. I'm actually, you know, I was the kid who sat in the back of the classroom and Yes, I was also the kid that like tried to run for like every office the school mm -hmm. offered in high school. But sometimes I'm awkward with attention and I can feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. with it. And I like want to get away from it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I welcome it. So yeah, anyways. Well, and that's why there's eight point whatever million of us on this planet. I'm like, yes, we can categorize certain traits, but we're all so unique. Yeah, you do have to be careful. You can learn only so much mm -hmm. from those things. I mean, a lot, a lot. They can be really helpful, but, you know, you certainly can't make it your, like, life compass. Yeah. Okay. I interrupted you about the Enneagram stuff, so keep going. Oh, gosh. No. Um, oh, okay. I am really into history. Mm. I like old things. I could watch PBS yes. all the time. Documentaries <laughs> all the way. Yes, totally. Um, I love genealogy. So Aww. I am, you know... Quick side story, I won't get into, but my dad is adopted and I was actually able to locate his birth what? mother and her no. family. I'm a digger. I like to yeah. dig and so, just find information. What's the story on him? Oh my gosh. Uh, so he was born in Chicago and he was adopted by my grandparents. And his mom, you know, she came to have him from out of state and couldn't keep him. Her life circumstances, you know, just didn't allow for it. Um, but he was raised an only child by his adopted parents. And what was fascinating was to meet. So we met her. What? Like she flew in from North Carolina with her three other children. This is so exciting. Oh, my God. It was incredible. So she flew in with her three other children who are my dad's half siblings. So for the first time, we're seeing all these people that look just like my dad. It was really bizarre. Wow. And we're like, oh, I, I look like you. Uh-huh. It was very, very strange. That's um, fascinating. But it was beautiful. You know, so the time that they met was actually, it happened coincidentally, or just by the Lord's hand, I think, to be the last time my parents, we would all gather as a family in the home they lived in, which belonged to my grandma, you know, who raised him and her husband, which was her second husband, who was my grandpa. And my dad sat at the piano and he played this, you know, he's a musician, he writes music and this worship song he had written. And we're all just kind of gathered around like, is this even happening? And the song was about, you know, like God's faithfulness. And I'm sure that was pretty surreal for her, you know, to see her son, I don't know, happy with children, grandchildren, 
Um, so yeah, anyways, wow. that's, you know, that's beautiful. It was incredible. Yeah. And look, you so, helped orchestrate that. Yeah. You know, it's because I nerd out. I nerd out and I dig deep and I'm like, what else can I find? Mm-hmm. Who else are we related to? So yeah. um, anyways, I digress. <laughs> I love it. I nerd out on like biblical history, geology, Dead Sea Scroll type of things. Yes. I'm like, give me more. I want to know about it. So Ooh, that's cool. So we are here because there's enough Pinterest perfect images already in the world. And so we want to peel back some layers and just hear about something in your life that has been especially messy, Mm -hmm. but still you have gotten to experience God's presence Mm -hmm. and faithfulness in the mess. So if you would, Mm -hmm. we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. So for me to date, you know, and you always have to say to date because of course you hope you don't continue to experience super hard things. Uh, But for me, the hardest thing that I have experienced was infertility. And that began for us about a year and a half into our marriage. I was 28 and we said, let's start a family. And a few months into it, you know, we hadn't gotten pregnant. And of course, you know, just typical fashion. I'm like, oh, what's going on? It's been a few months. You know, why are we not pregnant? But I also had this sense that it might be hard for us I actually had a friend come over and I remember sitting, she was sitting in my kitchen. And at that point, she was the only one I had known who had gone through infertility and and had had children through medical assistance and, of course, God's hand, ultimately. And I remember looking at her and saying, I don't know what it is, but I think this is going to be hard for us. But I remember her saying, uh, hard is hard. And she kind of gave me that release to not worry necessarily, but she wasn't going to you know, steal the legitimacy of of what mm-hmm. I was feeling in that moment right. or maybe wondering or perceiving. So we got to about 10 months of trying to have a baby. And I was at a friend's wedding up in Minnesota. And I got uh, what I believed at the time to be my period. And, you know, of course, was at that point, I would say pretty raw, still really sad every time we weren't pregnant every month, you know. But what was different about this time was that you know, we returned to Chicago and about a week had passed and I was still bleeding. And then, I don't know, three more days and I was still bleeding. So I called my friend who had experienced a very early miscarriage and I said, what do you think? Do you think I should test? Does this sound anything like what you experienced? And she said, I really think you should test. So I took a pregnancy test and I had a really faint positive. And I just remember just falling to my knees and saying, God, if there's any way, if there's any way to like save this pregnancy and this child, you know, please just have mercy on me. And I went in and they confirmed at my OBGYN that I indeed was miscarrying. Um, so several days went by and I was still bleeding. I said, oh, you'll bleed for maybe like two weeks. And gosh, I don't know, maybe I was at the 20 day mark and I was continuing to you know, it wasn't profuse, but I was, I was bleeding. And I actually started to experience some acute pain on my lower right side. And I told my mom about it, who's the nurse. And she said, you know, Adrian, I think you need to go into the ER. You might be experiencing ectopic pregnancy. So I went in and I expressed my fears to them. You know, I said, here's my pain. This is what it feels like. My doctor said it's probably a miscarriage, but since then, this is what's been going on. So they did the blood draw and the ultrasound. And I remember when the blood like the results came back. I don't know if it was like rapid or something, but I I had the numbers. I remember thinking, man, that sounds a little higher than it was last time. 
but kind of sloughed it off, you know, who I don't know, um, went home, continued to experience pain. And finally, I went back into my regular doctor and I said, hey, here's what's going on. And they said, we need to do an ultrasound. So they did an ultrasound and they found a small little mass on my right ovary. Uh, and then they ran labs too, again. And the labs had shot up, you know, the HCG hormone, the pregnancy mm-hmm. hormone had gone up. And uh, they said, we think that you're experiencing an ovarian ectopic pregnancy, which means um, an egg was fertilized. Well, first and foremost, ectopic means when an egg is fertilized outside the womb, so it doesn't really have a chance at survival or developing into a baby. Mm-hmm. And then, so they said it was on my ovary. This is threatening to you and we need to move forward with a procedure to kind of dissipate the fertilized egg, which just sounds so painful um, to even say out loud, not in the physical, just, you know, the emotional. And mm-hmm. um, and they did. And so that was my first positive pregnancy test. Um, so you didn't even get to experience the joy of that moment. You basically mm-hmm. found out you were miscarrying before you found out you were pregnant or as you were found out you were mm-hmm. pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it was really early on, you know, it was kind of about the time my period was due. So it was kind of, it was just very surprising. Um, mm-hmm. So we knew, obviously, we were not the type of people who could get pregnant very easily, but we did give it more time, um, just trying on our own and eventually decided we needed to see a specialist. So I'll just kind of lay it out there. I struggled with even going to begin with mm-hmm. because it felt a little pushy. You know, I was like, well, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. Who am I to try to speed things up? It's let's just let it happen when it needs to. But Mm -hmm. we had to go in. I mean, there's if we really were, I guess I should say for us, we felt if we were serious about really wanting to have biological children, we needed to probably get some medical opinion on what was happening Mm -hmm. and why we weren't. So was it hard to I mean, ultimately, you're having to label yourself as we are struggling with infertility Mm -hmm. to take yourself in to see a professional. Was that hard to do? Oh, yeah. There's this sense of, I mean, you just don't want to accept it, mm-hmm. right? You, right. You don't want to be in that 6% camp. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was humbling, I would say. But we went in and they said, okay, here's what we do. And I remember the doctor was a little like, I was pretty raw at that point. She's just very factual and really good at what she did, but mm-hmm. she wasn't going to be my shoulder to cry on mm-hmm. or like, empathize with my, you know, dilemmas. And so anyway, she said, here's what I think you should do. We should do a couple of rounds of Clomid, which is basically you take um, this pill and it's to help with ovulation. And anytime I say I went through a procedure, just imagine with every procedure, you're basically at the doctor every day, early in the morning, usually every other day, getting your blood drawn, checking like every hormone just to make sure that you are okay to move forward before they just, you know, throw medication at you. Mm-hmm. Um, So we did four rounds of Clomid and they were all, you know, they did not result in a pregnancy. And one of them actually uh, was a complete bust. You know, they were like, well, something was happening with my body where my hormones were off and I just couldn't do it. Um, And I, sorry, I should back up. They did a bunch of labs initially with me. Of course, they're like, let's get to the bottom of this. Why aren't you getting pregnant? All the labs came back for both Jordan and I is fine. So we got thrown in this camp of unexplained infertility. And that was actually really hard for me. Mm. And why it was hard was because it brought this kind of spiritual tension into the picture for me. If I had known 
for me personally, and I know women have different stories, but I think if I had known why I was unable to conceive, I'd be like, yes, address that. Mm-hmm. Do that procedure. Yes. Know, take that medication. You know, it's like we have a reason. But I have this thing where I'm like, well, God is God. He knows. Ultimate, mm-hmm. and, and it's true. You know, it's like he will give you a child if he wants to give you a child. He is good, right? So it was the whole like, who am I yeah. to to say that his timing is wrong? And I wrestled with that a lot, a well, lot, the unexplained, a lot. like you said, it's like, okay, here's something that's going on. Well, we can do something about it. We can try to fix it. Right. Whereas, well, nothing's wrong, but we're not getting pregnant. What do right. we do? It felt really abstract. It yeah. was really abstract. It was like there was nothing really factual happening mm-hmm. in, or scientifically that could be proven in either of our bodies other than the fact we weren't conceiving, mm-hmm. you know. So How long we had it been at this point? Oh, gosh. Let me look. I have my little notes here, which sounds so silly, but I was trying to write it down. Okay. So we are two years in at this point. Okay. And we've done four rounds of Clomid. Mm-hmm. We took some time off. Um, of the two of us, between my husband and I, I certainly was the one that was putting the brakes on with treatment. I think for him, he felt an earlier release to be more aggressive. Um, but was always very honoring of where I stood because, A, it was, you know, my body yeah. that was succumbing to medication mm-hmm. and treatment and blood draws. and Right. And those things usually never happen and, without extra symptom or not symptoms. What's the word I'm looking for? Extra. Oh, side effects or. Side effects. Side effects. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm like, he, symptoms yeah. is not the word. <laughs> yeah. No, I get you. I feel you. Um I just didn't have peace. I didn't have peace. And in this time, I mean, I am telling you, I was filling up journals with prayers. I'm like, God, you know, what what are you doing? And why is this my path in life? And do you hear the cries of my heart? And mm-hmm. but also like, but I trust you and you're good. And yeah. And so I was really, really, really wrestling in this time. Um, and I needed a break. So we took some time off and then fall 2013, I kind of finally worked up this, I'd say courage, but also, you know, when you're like so worn out by something you've given, you know, where it's like, (laughs) sometimes that's what needs to happen. Toddlers. Totally. Yes. Oh my gosh, (laughs) toddlers. But sometimes I think God can work through your exhaustion Mm. where you're just tired. And it's not like a weakness thing. It's like a, well, you know, I'm tired and this might be the way that God chooses to work like in my exhaustion. That's true. He works in all things. So he does. He really in like such interesting ways. So I did four rounds of artificial insemination, also known as IUI, and none of those worked. So we did not become pregnant. So this is three years then to try and, and um, it's so funny to just be like, casually like three years i mean this is so what is that 36 times i've not been pregnant basically yes um and like again journals and like thank you for saying that and so often yes we put a time stamp of years on some kind of issue that someone's been dealing with and it's like really think about those nights when you lay in bed just Mm. begging god for whatever it is you're asking for or Mm. questioning why it's not happening and those are long there so long. Oh. Yeah. It was a long, a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when those didn't work, we hit another point of, it's funny, like an inverse of the exhaustion, or I don't know if that's the right term, but like I was exhausted because we had tried, right? And it didn't work. And 
we were really struggling because we didn't feel like we could make plans for our lives. We had bought a house in 2012 and it was like, okay, what color do we paint the guest room? Will this be a nursery one day? What do I do professionally if I want to stay home with a child? Do we spend money on traveling to have an experience as husband and wife or do we spend money on fertility bills? Mm, Um, How are we relationally with people that are friends that have kids and we don't? You know, bedtimes are different. We can stay out later. They need to go home. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was this like, you know, infertility permeates every aspect of your life. There really is no place in your life it doesn't touch. Mm -hmm. Um, It touches your relationship with others, with God, with your spouse, it changes, you know, your intimacy dynamic with one another. Right. Um, it changes your sense of uh, relating to others. It's just really kind of all-encompassing. Yeah. Um, so how was that for you relationally with your friends mm-hmm. that were getting pregnant and having babies? Yeah. It was hard. I mean, there's there's this really weird thing that happens where, you know, I think you can still have a joy for your friend who's pregnant, but you can also weep. Mm. You know, there's, I think God gives us permission to hold dual emotions at the same time. We don't have to pick one. I agree. But I will say what was most difficult for us was, oh man, this sounds so, it sounds almost like really selfish, but it wasn't. It was just raw. It was just raw. Um, What was hard for us was when, the moments of insensitivity, you know, where, you know, somebody maybe will announce that they're pregnant and it's this like, oh, we're pregnant and we're just sitting there like, that's awesome. And then I get up to go to the bathroom and yeah. cry, you know, and when well, you're kind of blindsided, even though, of course, you are thrilled for them, but you're just yeah. not ready for those emotions that you're going to no, feel. No, you're not. And and the thing with infertility, at least for me, is that your emotion is like just below the surface. Mm-hmm. It is not hard to access the pain. Mm-hmm. It is always there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a constant. And so the little things can trigger it too. You know, it's you're just kind of vulnerable. And um, actually the best pregnancy announcements for us were ones where they're just tender friends that look at you with tears in their eyes and they just say, they share the news, but they also acknowledge your pain, yeah. you know? And I think what I would say is that when you are, let's say you're someone who is pregnant and you have a friend who's going through infertility and you want to share that news with them, your joy is not going to uh, be diminished by their pain. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have a moment of sensitivity for that person, you know, Mm -hmm. um, remember that they love you. They're Mm -hmm. going through something that's incredibly hard. Well, I like that you talked about kind of that tension. And I do think God gives us the capacity to hold that tension, but it does take a lot of grace. It really does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So we... We waited for like another year. I mean, I don't, this is like a theme. It's funny as I'm speaking it out loud. I'm like, oh, then I just wait a year. When I say wait, you're trying every <laughs> single month. You're crying every single month. You're yeah. pleading with the Lord every single month. Um, but as far as medical treatment. As far as medical, yeah. So as far as medical treatment goes, I was like, I'm done. So I really had my heels on the ground against IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. That's basically the kind of the fullest extent you can go with your own eggs and your husband's mm-hmm. sperm. And so what you did before was artificial insemination? Artificial and that's insemination. Different. Yep. Yep. So it's kind of like you go 
clomid or whatever kind of like entry-level treatment, which is basically like hormones. Mm -hmm. And then you go artificial insemination and then you go IVF, which is where they literally try to join your sperm and egg together in a Petri dish. Yes. To form an embryo to put it back in your body, right. hoping that your body will. Okay. Um, well, what was interesting in this time? You I love your explanation, so... by the way. It's great. <laughs> I'm like, is this your like a little TMI? explanation? <laughs> no, it's perfect. <laughs> but really, what you learn while you're going through infertility is that it is a miracle that anyone gets pregnant to begin with. I mean, really and truly, so much has to line up in total and utter perfection for a human being to come into this world. I mean, like, it has to be God that does that work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we took a year off again. And I had this turning point when it came to IVF. So my posture toward IVF was like, no way. Um, not going to happen. And primarily because I really wrestled with taking the reins to that degree. I felt like I was inserting myself too much into the formula. You know, I remember someone saying to me who knew another person who had gone through IVF, she goes, well, you know, my friend who went through it said that she just wished she had done it earlier. And that's great for her. I could never relate to that. I never had this because she did end up getting pregnant, by the way. Um, I just didn't have this sense of like, I must do it now. Give me my baby. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this sense of you are God. Who am I to just make demands of you? But what was interesting was I had this kind of like spiritual turning point. Um, so I was reading about Joshua and how, um, you know, the Israelites, God had been providing for them for so long, you know, manna from heaven. and But they finally were like released into the promised land and what he had given them was fertile land. Basically, they had to go work that land they had to pursue in order to feed themselves. Mm. And um, I remember I was at a friend's wedding in California. I was one of her bridesmaids. And I even wrote this down. This is a, an excerpt from my journal. Um, I wrote, uh, reading Joshua and gleaning so much how when you brought them out of the 40 years of wilderness across the Jordan, you stopped providing manna and instead provided fertile land where they could pursue provision, mm. sow, till, reap. It's like you led them through a period of total dependence on you and then decided to let them pursue and work and use their own two hands in order to eat. They could no longer sit and wait for manna. They had to work for manna and recognize that you had made a way that you were continuing to provide, but it required, and I have an all caps, participation mm. and pursuit from your people. Yeah. taking hold of opportunity. In many ways, that's what I feel is taking place. You are taking us out of a season of waiting, watching, and longing, and saying, okay, now pursue. It isn't that we have heard from you directly, but you haven't closed the store, mm. and you're providing a means. I feel like Joshua in the sense that you are filling me with courage, intent, focus, determination. Mm. You haven't said, I will give you a child, pursue, but you have given me a sense of courage, peace, and hope. I'll take it. Wow. So I felt this release to pursue mm -hmm. what for me was the most aggressive form mm -hmm. of trying to become pregnant. I like that word, participate. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is something that probably a lot of believers wrestle with, the tension of, okay, so... Oh, yeah waiting for God to do something in your life mm -hmm. versus looking at the means he's given you yeah. and deciding to 
take hold oh, yeah. of it and 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 he's given us a brain and he's given us medicine and all truth is right. his truth. It is. It's right. a hard right. It's a hard line. And that's where I think it does. Like you uh, were listening, it takes prayer. I think it takes discernment to know when to wait hmm. and when to start walking. Hmm. And also, you have to let go of the outcome. And because when it comes, you know, I've said this, and we all know when it comes to life, God is the author. Mm-hmm. He is the giver of life. Right. He is the giver of good things. You're still taking a sperm and an egg that come from him. You're not recreating those things. No. And then he gets to decide if it works. Yeah, right? totally. So it's like you're still very much walking in faith mm-hmm. and having to surrender the, the outcome to him completely. Mm-hmm. Well, this might be too far, but it takes faith to participate in intimacy. Absolutely. Truly. I mean, there's, I think it's applicable to a lot of, of ways in which we have to like balance our participation yeah. and in faith. Yep. Um, and so I surrendered. I waved my flag and I surrendered to IVF. Um, you know, so in my journey, I'm a pretty open person, um, but I'm not like, I don't know. I have seasons that ebbs and flows, right? Because it was so just under the surface for me, um, I did talk about it with my friends, what I was going through. Um, but kind of a bigger step for me was I actually started a blog um, and I shared it with kind of this like maybe about 15 girlfriends from different stages of life that I was still close with, friends from church and college and um, high school. I said, here's what we're going through. We really need prayer. And I'm going to keep you posted as to how you can be praying because I'm doing the bravest thing I've ever done. And that is I'm going out to get my child, but I might not come back with one. And I need all the support that I can get. So I shared the blog with friends. And it was actually pretty incredible because this whole time I had been so incredibly supported by my friends. But this was like a... You know how you're you really need like something specific to happen. I mean, I literally had this entry that was like, I need my bladder to be full so that the catheter can, you know, mm-hmm. not the catheter, sorry, the ultrasound wand can mm-hmm. get to where it needs to go. I mean, it was so nitty-gritty specific. Yeah. And I had people praying for my bladder to be, yeah. you know, full type situation. So there was kind of an opening up and a surrender to like letting people know mm-hmm. like the nitty-gritty the tiny details. <laughs> The tiny details that maybe feel meaningless, but they meant everything because so much had to happen right in order for a pregnancy to occur. Mm. The least of which, you know, is my body receiving the embryo, not the least of which, you know, is my body receiving an embryo and being able to house it mm-hmm. and grow it because we never knew what the problem was. Um, when you're filling out all these forms for IVF, you're like, okay, check this box for assisted hatching where you, you know, cross hatch the egg to help the sperm. It's like, it is so, in, I mean, you're just thinking through and we're like, well, what if that was our issue? Maybe the shell around my egg is too hard or mm-hmm. maybe it's like all these things you're considering that most people wouldn't think about, you know, mm-hmm. but you're having to think about. So this was June, 2015 then, right? Clarify for us one more time. So we're, how long okay. has it been from so the beginning? So we had been, it was, um, two months shy of five years. So four years and 10 months. Okay. That's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a really long time. Um, so, (laughs) so basically you have a little, you go completely under, you have a surgery and they remove your eggs and then you get these daily reports that are like, you had 10 eggs, eight of them are viable. Call tomorrow to let you know. 
you know, how many of them were fertilized. And then we'll call the next day to let you know how many of them are viable embryos. I mean, it was like just really bizarre, right? Yeah. Um, so every morning I'm like shaking and waiting for the phone call to let me know if anything is like survived. And, um, eventually it came down to having five embryos and we were able to move forward with, it's called the transfer where they transfer the embryo into your uterus. And I love (laughs) the conversation we had the day that they were going to transfer the embryo. I woke up. Jordan was in the kitchen. So he was up before me. And I woke up and I go, today is the day. And he just shouts back, today is the day. And that was it, you know. And then we're like getting ready out the door. We were so excited. And I remember walking into the clinic feeling just really peaceful and confident. I really actually believed it was going to happen. I really did. And we went in. We had the procedure. And we waited at home to test. And I let my friends know, listen, I'm not going to be updating you. We want to test like the regular people with a test at home. And if you don't hear from me, don't worry. I'll update you. But this is just we want to have a normal moment. So the day came for us to test. And, you know, I woke up and I had the song in my head, uh, you know, the it is well with my soul, the more modern rendition where it's let it go, my soul and trust him, the waves and wind, obey his name. And I sat up in bed and Jordan had already left to go get the pregnancy test at the store. And I just had that song, you know, come over me. And I was just like, okay, like worshiping. And I felt this sense of just peace and surrender. And um, he came home and I remember him being like, let's just do this, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually wrote it and I thought I would share it. You know, I'm a big journal person. And although, you know, with kids, I have to say it's not as heavy on the journaling. Yep. Um, it's a whole new ball game when you got the little ones running around. <laughs> it's the Which best, is what though. you were journaling about. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So this is Saturday, June 27th, 2015. My eyes flew open this morning. I wasn't afraid or anxious, just excited and at peace. I couldn't go back to sleep. I shook Jordan. Oh, I shook Jordan awake. No, he wasn't already awake. I asked him if he thought Walgreens was open. Yeah, it was 6.30. He sleepily woke up, pulled on some clothes, and headed to the store to buy some pregnancy tests. A song was flooding my heart. Let it go. My soul and trust him. The winds and waves obey his name, which bursts into a chorus of it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. I opened a first Samuel to meditate on Hannah's prayer. The same scripture I memorized after asking you to give me a word that would earmark this season of life, our pursuit of a child. I got up to clean the kitchen. Then Jordan walked through the door. He was anxious to just test and get it over with. We prayed together, asking for your peace to reign. I took the test in seconds, a very strong positive. I started weeping, lifting my hands to you, praising, praising your name over and over again. Jordan laughed without ceasing tears in his eyes. I sank to my knees and continued to worship you. Mm. While Jordan knelt down to kiss my belly. Truly, we were basking in a miracle. We still are. Mm. Oh, man. Wow. I didn't expect. That's really feels profound to read that today. Um, You know, so that little miracle grew up to be our fiery, smart wordsmith, (laughs) Hazel. 
Mm. Um, and at the time we froze our only other viable embryo, which sounds so like the Jetsons, like futuristic. Yeah. <laughs> so we froze our embryo, <laughs> right? Um, and we just knew that at some point we wanted to try to transfer that embryo to have a, a shot at having a second child. Gosh. So we we had Hazel and she's, <laughs> you know, she's the best. She's the very best. She has so much personality. I cannot keep up with the child. Mm-hmm. Um, Anytime you post anything, she reminds me of my Hallie. I, you've said this and I just want to meet Hallie. But it's such a beautiful, amazing thing as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She's profound. Um, she just she really is profound to me. The things she perceives and says. Hmm. So we were walking with our little miracle girl and actually felt really content. Just kind of like, we have a child. I mean, this is something we didn't even know was possible. Yeah. But we knew we wanted to to try, you know, with this embryo. And so um, in October 2018, we had planned for a transfer of this embryo. So they thaw it. <laughs> out of its futuristic machine. And um, and then they transfer it just like Hazel had been transferred as an embryo. And uh, we were excited, but, you know, just like we're full. We're full. Our hearts are full. We're hopeful. But we, again, I mean, like, look at our daughter. I mean, mm-hmm. look at her. Like, look at what we've been given by the Lord. Mm-hmm. But we hoped, you know, of course, for a little sibling. And we went in and I did the transfer and um, it didn't work. Hmm. You know, it, I didn't get pregnant. And it was a bit of a confusing time for us. We we experienced um, a level of identity confusion, I would say, not to the extent we experienced when we waited for Hazel to spore years and 10 months because we are parents already, you know. But we certainly were like, well, okay, Lord, you know, that was it. And one thing I would say, when we had gone through IVF, we prayed and prayed and prayed that God would not give us more embryos than we could handle because Mm. we, you know, it was our choice, but we were unwilling to donate to science or terminate or adopt out. We just were like, God, give us what we can handle. Because that Um, can become a whole other thing, right? Like if you have a whole whole lot of frozen embryos and kind of a moral dilemma of what do we do at this point? Yeah. That's why there's a lot of paperwork. I mean, it's it's no no small deal. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, I'm submitting my body to a lot of medication, which by no means is good for it. You know, it's not like I'm eating broccoli or something. So um, we were a little confused, you know, does this mean you want us to think about adoption? Does this mean you want us to go through IVF again? What does this mean, Lord? Don't get me wrong. I was very sad. I cried big, fat tears in this time. It just wasn't the same kind of sorrow. It's just a different kind of sorrow, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, a few weeks later, I was going out for a girlfriend's party and I had been having just kind of some weird things happening with my body. And um, I was like, well, maybe I'll just take a pregnancy test, which for me is hilarious. I was just going to say, how long after the in vitro was this? Just a few weeks. Okay. This is like, it's really weird, actually, when you do the math. It kind of blows my mind. Um, A few weeks, maybe three weeks. So I decided to get a test, which I just never tested. I just gave up on testing. I was like, I never had. The only positive pregnancy test I ever had was my ectopic and then hazel. Mm-hmm. So they were always very, like, anticlimactic for me. Very sad. <laughs> um, but I was like, eh, I'll just take one. You know, I had one lying around. 
mm-hmm. from Hazel, actually. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I had it lying around because of the embryo transfer. And I literally had my coat on, the, my keys and my, like my, I was like ready to walk out the door type situation. It was really weird. And I think I was trying to like de-escalate, you know, the possibility. I was just trying to be a bit more casual because I'm like, surely this can't be anything. No big deal. I just have to like make my heart a little like, you know, buffer against this. And you prep yourself, give yourself a little talk. And I went in and I took the test and it was positive. And I, <laughs> Jordan was in the basement with but Hazel. not from IVF. No, no. So I'm like screaming and Jordan comes running upstairs, terrified something's wrong with me. And I'm like shaking, Jordan, 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 you know, like <laughs> I, I just took it. He's like, you did what? You, like, I don't think I even told him. I don't even know if he knew I was taking one. It was just such a like weird casual yeah. moment that was so intense. Let's and, just see. Um, so he ran out and got some more tests and I text my friend. I'm like, I'm going to be a little bit late, you know, and the next one was negative, but then another one was positive and we did one again in the morning. It was positive. And my mind was blown. I mean, I have never, I mean, at that point, it had been eight years since when we had started trying to conceive, eight years and two months. And I had never just like, apart from my ectopic pregnancy, just gotten pregnant, you know? And so I called my doctor and I'm talking to the nurse and I'm explaining everything to her. And I'm like, is it possible that it worked? Yeah. And she said, oh, honey, no. I mean, because I had blood. I had negative blood tests. I had negative urine tests, at-home tests. And well, so this was like late November. And she goes, well, it's Christmas. It's the season of miracles. And I say, yeah. That's exactly right. (laughs) So um, that little miracle is my son, Boaz, who's 15 months old today and still like shocks me to my core. He's so yummy. He's so yummy. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's I don't so know how you stand cute. it. I like. I cannot handle him. I just want to eat his face, mm. which is weird. Do it but I every do. day. Every day, because they keep I growing like, up, and it's get, wonderful. But oh. also, like, you miss those little people. Yes, those cheeks, those cheeks. So I remembered a post that you made. And I just looked it up oh. back from right before Hazel was born. And oh. it's a picture of you with the crib in the background. And you say, in a few minutes, we walk out the door to a baby shower that my mom and sisters have been longing to host for years. Mm. I can't think of a better mm. moment to document in our little lives. Mm. Yeah. And I remember oh, that. so good. Yeah. That post about my shower was really surreal for me. To even, you know, of all the Instagram posts I'd had before, that one was probably the most profound. And it was a lovely shower. And it was, you know, I was surrounded by a mm-hmm. lot of friends um, from church and from different phases of life. It was pretty incredible. But it was what it meant. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, really, it felt fake. <laughs> it's like, is this even happening <laughs> to me? Like, I yeah. mean, it really felt like a fairy tale. Yeah. Well, because you had had to process a lot of what can feel like, and I know it's not, but sometimes it feels like silence from God Mm -hmm. when you were kind of stuck in that cycle of waiting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think what happened for me, um, the most important thing that happened to me and for me during this time was my intimacy with God went to this deeper place. And it was because... I saw him as my good father because he is our good father. And I could come to him in all of my vulnerability and longing and frustration and anger and pain. 
and he never failed to meet me. Now, that doesn't mean that he was like, here's what you do, Adrian, you know, or, but it was like his word was what was meeting me time and again and never turns up empty, right? Mm -hmm. There's always something there. And so as I was waiting for this miracle, God really showed me that he's the great identifier Mm. and he meets us in our place of brokenness, not just because he can relate, but because he became brokenness. And Mm. he took upon all of that's backwards and hard and upside down in this world upon himself in order to conquer sin once and for all, of course, but then also to be the one who can relate to us the most in our place of pain. Mm. And so in my waiting, I felt like I had someone who knew my pain even more than I knew it myself and knew um, why he was allowing this to occur in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, you know, it drew me into this real kind of this time of sounds weird, but it was sweet. It was tender. It was honest. It was safe. And ultimately for me, a lot of my prayers with him and conversations with God, I just you know, the scripture, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And I want to say, what is this? Psalm 39.7 really spoke to me during that time because even though I was hoping for and waiting for, you know, like Abraham and Sarah, I remember God speaking Romans 4 to me one time and I was looking at it and he promises a child to Abraham and Sarah and they're like, no way, this is impossible. But you said you'd give us a child. God never said he'd give me a child. Mm -hmm. You know, he never told me this is going to happen. Nobody has a guarantee of a child. And so it's like every time I try to like put my hope entirely in the outcome of becoming a mother and having a child, it would kind of not come up empty, but a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what if it he, is. And I, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? And it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. No one is guaranteed a child. But the one There's plenty thing, of people right now that are living out that story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And oh my gosh, I know. Oh, wow. I just feel so much for women in that position right now. Um, But in me, you know, longing, crying out for these things that weren't a guarantee, the one thing he showed me is a guarantee is himself. You know, he never comes up empty. Yeah. He is the great longing fulfilled. He is the ultimate promise fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so my needs were always met. Maybe my longing for, you know, and the longing is good. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with. It's not like I'm asking for a BMW, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I just want to be a mom. It's a good thing. I want, you know, you created family. You Mm -hmm. created, he created that longing in you. And he created that longing in me. So what do you do with a good longing that comes from the Lord, but he hasn't satisfied that longing? You let him satisfy you. Mm. You know, he's the one that can meet you in that place of grief. Um, I you know, just I, read this morning. It was by Louis Giglio. I have a screenshot here. It's from his new book that just released, An Advent Journey of Hope. And it says, while we are waiting on God, we are waiting with God. Mm. God is there the whole time. I love that. Oh, I love that. That's absolutely. I think it's easy when you're going through something hard. You can grow hard toward the Lord. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Mm-hmm. And to just say, well, why wouldn't you give me this good thing? How... But the truth is um, that his faithfulness doesn't hinge on the gift that you're seeking. Mm. You know, 
his faithfulness is constant. Um, and, and take relief in that. You know, I took great relief in that. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I had scream into pillow, yeah. throw things, <laughs> slam doors. I had those moments. But I would say, you know, maybe to anyone who is experiencing this, I would say, bring him all your moments. Yeah. Don't try to hide any of those moments, any of those feelings from him. He already he knows not. Yeah, he's not overwhelmed. He'll you'll never overwhelm him. Mm-hmm. And he wants those things because it is a refining process and he can do something really beautiful. Nothing is wasted. Um, I had written this down as I was kind of preparing for this call. This is in the waiting. You know, he longs to minister to you in this place of pain and longing. So keep coming back to him over and over again in tears and anger and frustration and confusion, whatever it may look like. He wants you. He wants you near his kind and loving heart and words. He wants you to know how deeply loved you are. He longs to build up your heart and your mind and to show you just how this time can be to your benefit. Mm. Because the benefit when we allow God to minister to us is him. You can get more of him and it will help you. It doesn't mean it won't be excruciating, but it will be sweet. It will go deep. It will be life-changing. It is possible to cherish this intimacy with him. Though your belly may not be growing, Mm -hmm. your heart and your spirit are growing exponentially. You do not need to be a mother to be significant. You need him. Wow. Beautiful. Makes me think, too, of that word pursuit that you mentioned earlier and just his pursuit of us. Like, it never, ever Mm -hmm. stops. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No. It doesn't. It never stops. Um, And he's always available. And I think one thing I just wanted to speak to, too, is um, to realize the significance of what you are enduring. And some of the scripture that spoke to me in my time was Proverbs 30, 15 through 16, which says, there are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough, the grave, the barren womb, land, which is never satisfied with water, in fire, which never says enough. And then an excerpt from Hannah's prayer in First Samuel, um, which is also mirrored in Psalm 113. So I would kind of go back and forth between the two. Uh, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. So that's Hannah. But Mm. in Psalm 113, the psalmist says all those things. Then he adds, because he has the hindsight of Hannah's prayer, he settles the childless woman in her home, a happy mother of children. Um, And so I think what I would say is, you know, what I went through, what women who are barren are going through, and this is a good word, I think, for people who are also trying to know how to support someone Mm -hmm. um, who's going through it. Realize the weight and the significance. This is not a surface thing. This isn't someone just, why don't you adopt or why don't you, you know, God takes the time to put the barren womb in the same category as the grave and the land that's thirsty, as the poor and the needy. Um, It's a very broken thing that you're experiencing. And so there's something really gracious about that where God would kind of affirm how hard it really is. Mm. You know, um, but also those places, the only way they can thrive is by being met by the hand of the Lord. You know, he sends the water. He conquered death. 
he can and sometimes and sometimes doesn't do a miracle and give a child. And but I think the biggest thing is that he's have you ever heard the phrase the blessing is close to the wound is next to the wound? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've heard that before, oh, yeah. but like it's kind of like the tension just, we talked about earlier. Yeah. I mean, he's right up there against it. Like he's he knows yeah. I mean, he knows your pain and he identifies with it. That's so good. Um, just a few things that I want to point out as an encouragement or just possibly some ways to kind of handle your your time of infertility is to talk about God's faithfulness and to remember it. That was really important for Jordan and I in our infertility to talk about all the things that God had already done and mm. orchestrated in our lives so that we could reacquaint ourselves with his faithfulness. And so we wouldn't forget, you know, like the Israelites, you haven't done anything for us, right. God, give us a king. You know, right. we just, we were able to kind of keep his faithfulness like mm-hmm. always before us. Yeah. And then important. the other thing that I was going to say is have a pillar conversation with your husband. And by pillar conversation, um, open yourself up to talking about things that don't have to do with your infertility that you know you need in your life. So for us, that meant taking a walk around our neighborhood and talking about and then praying for things that we knew we needed. At that time, we needed a new church community. We really needed friends, and we longed for a family. And we said, these are things that we want and we need, and they're good and from mm. the Lord. Um, and then we prayed for those things. And then we saw him answer these other prayers. We had a great church community come along. We developed deep and real lifelong lasting friendships. And even though the child didn't come in that waiting and in that time, we still saw his faithfulness in action. And then the last thing I would say is it's okay to keep humor and laughter around and you need it. You need it to cut through all of the drama and the pain and the deep emotion. Um, Take the time to laugh together. For Jordan and I, you know, we had this little thing we'd call good for you. And this sounds so weird and jaded, but it wasn't. Um, We'd be like driving around and we'd just make each other roll. We'd be like, we'd see somebody like, oh, good for you. Were you born one day? We're so happy for you that you were born. Like, it was just a silly, and you don't have to include this, but like, we just had to find things where we could laugh about our infertility, Mm -hmm. to be honest, you know, where it's like, we just couldn't take ourselves so seriously all the time. But no kidding. um, Yeah. That's good. Well, I think we're all waiting on something. Um, Mm. Obviously, we're talking about a very specific topic right now in your story, your experience, but we're all waiting on something. Mm. And, you know, as we head into the holidays, it just reminds me that we can bring our deepest longing to the feet of Jesus. And I think of Mm. all those for thousands of years in the Old Testament that were waiting on the Messiah. And now Mm. we have the opportunity to look back and know that he came and did sacrifice his life for us, you know? Mm -hmm. And while we wait, whether it's on a child, Mm -hmm. life's uncertainties, you know, that don't Mm -hmm. make sense. Mm -hmm. Again, where all of us are right now for our risen king to return once and for all. Mm -hmm. I just want to hear from you. What posture do you think that we should take in that meantime? Hmm. I think that's a really good question. Um, So there's the posture of expectancy. Mm. where we know we have the promise because of Scripture of His return. And we have the good promise of Jesus having come into this world. We have the hindsight, you know, right, right. come into this world and uh, meeting us in our waiting and our our longing and our sorrow. And so I'd say expect Him <laughs> to be faithful to what He has promised. 
And again, that's ultimately, it's just him. Mm. You know, it's really just him. Um, but he does promise that. New, and it's major. <laughs> and it's major. And it's new life in him. I would also say, allow yourself to be refined in the waiting. Mm. Um, it's a very poignant time. And it doesn't have to be where you're just sitting, you know, folding your hands. It's like be engaged in the waiting whether it's you pursuing the means he's presented before you like it was for me in that story of Joshua having so much meaning, or if it's you uh, just digging into who he is more um, in his word or you know, allowing him to use your your gifts and the body of Christ. And um, it doesn't have to be this still being still is important. You know, I don't want to downplay that, but also like waiting doesn't always mean an active, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so expect him to be the fulfillment to fulfill his promises, but also engage, engage him in the waiting because he is available to you now, mm-hmm. not just tomorrow or the promise of tomorrow. He is available right. now. Right now, this moment. Yeah. Well, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you're different because of that refinement. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it gave me a real tenderness toward people who were going through something hard, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't have had eyes to see before that. Um, and I think it also gave me this perspective that pain <laughs> is actually important. Pain can be a place where you are changed mm. and he will meet you in that place of pain. Um, and it's not something to squash down or minimize. It's an entry point into deeper intimacy yeah. with him. You know, realize that this time is valuable, that there is so much that God wants to deposit in you and that he wants to refine you and build up a relationship with you that is unlike what you've had before. And it will prepare you for uh, the future, and it will help you face the today that you're in. So I just say, if anything, like reach out for more intimacy with God and let him know your heart because it's never going to blindside him. He's mm. going to take care of it. That's a word, girl. Man, it is not an easy one. No. Let's make that clear, right? <laughs> it's hard when you're doing it. Right. <laughs> but you've lived it. But I've lived it, and it's a good one. It's a yeah. good one. So I wish we had an extra hour because this is all amazing. <laughs> but so good. Do you have any resources that you have just really valued and that have impacted you, whether throughout this time or just in general that you want to pass along? Yeah. So I would say for me currently, uh, one of the biggest life-giving resources I've had um, has been, are you familiar with Tim Keller? Yeah. His Gospel and Life podcast, his sermons, oh. I have just been like eating them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Awesome. Um, there's just something that's been, I think, kind of like a frankness and uh, the word is what it is type. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really wonderful for me. I listen to this other, po- well, yours. I listen to your podcast all the time. Yay. I'm always, okay, so when your podcast, I'm like in my kitchen half the time and like pretty much every podcast I'm crying um, <laughs> because there's just something that's so raw and vulnerable yeah. that you can identify with and um, I'm so grateful and then also, for women like you. Well, you know. And now all the other women listening are going to be crying to your voice. So oh, <laughs> in <gosh>. their kitchen, <laughs> if they can even understand what I'm saying through my tears. Um, and then have you heard of the Read Aloud Revival podcast? Yes, I have. Yes. 
I enjoy that. I actually follow her mostly on Instagram and then I'll listen to her podcast occasionally. But she's a Christian homeschooling mom that has built this like empire of <laughs> the value of reading aloud to your children. Um, and from that, I've just gleaned some good book ideas and postures and reading. And, and then mm. I, for infertility, a book that was significant to me during that time, I don't know if you're familiar with Bo Stern. It's a woman I had never heard of her either. I honestly can't even remember where I even heard of her in the first place. But she wrote this book called Beautiful Battlefield. And she wrote it in the middle of her dealing with her husband being diagnosed with ALS. Um, So she didn't wait for the hindsight to write it. Mm. She wrote it in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of value in hearing her story and her vulnerability. That title alone is gold. It's tension. Beautiful battle. So it was was a really poignant book for me. Um, Rain for Roots today. Have you heard of Rain for Roots music for kids? I haven't. Um, It's just basically kind of these like folky Christian artists that uh, sing scripture. Mm-hmm. And they make songs out of it. So it's been a really cool way for Hazel to learn Listen, stories. I can still sing songs from my childhood. Some of them are <laughs> yeah. good. Some of them aren't so good. But we, yep. our minds are sponges when we're little. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been an awesome resource for the kids. Love it. Well, as we wrap up, would you possibly just leave us with just a final word of encouragement, advice, just something that you want to pass along for us, maybe for someone who's in a season of waiting? Um, What do you want them to know? I want to pause and take a moment to honor the women who are still in the throes of infertility, the women who do not know if a biological child will ever come, The ones who have been brave, who have pursued, who have participated, who have waited for years and have tried their hardest with whatever means available and still have not been able to conceive. No one story is the same. And I just pause to honor that. Know that his deep love and tenderness toward your longing is there. In fact, he cares so much about your pain that he even talks about you in scripture. You don't need hindsight in order to have him meet you where you are. He comes right into the middle of it and gives you everything you need to get through. Psalm 84 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they walk through the valley of Baca, which means a waterless valley. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) You are awesome. I'm so grateful we got to have this time together and thank you for sharing all of your learned wisdom along the way. Oh, thank you for having me. It's humbling and an honor. So thank you so much, Jen. This has been fun. Well, I feel like I could listen to this one again and still learn something new. So if Adrian's story impacted you in any way, we'd love for you to text this episode to a friend or share it on social media, or it always means so much and somehow helps other women find these encouraging messages of hope when you leave us a review and Apple Podcasts. Guys, all of the resources are linked up in the conversation notes. You can also subscribe for free wherever you like to stream. And if you'd like, we'd love to connect with you on Instagram at the Messy Table Podcast. 
And so happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, and a very happy new year from us at The Messy Table. And as you head into the holiday season, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.